You are listening to the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc. Good morning. It's good to see so many of you here in church today. Um, Like Drew said, these are very sacred and beautiful moments that we have together. And heaven forbid that it just becomes common to us. I had the privilege on Friday night of spending the evening with some of the leaders of Chi Alpha, our college ministry, here. And there was such a beauty in the room as Scott led us in worship, and I shared a little bit. And there was just such a, a purity and, and innocence in the room of just longing and hungering for more of the Lord. That's so pleasing to him. And it reminded me of, of, of Drew and I's early days when we were of college age, and we would just seek the Lord, and we would just spend time with God, with God and Scott. Literally, it was Scott leading worship for us in those days. And there was nothing to prove. There was nothing to build. There was nothing to strive for. We just wanted the Lord. And we weren't even praying for revival we just wanted Jesus. And I was newly saved. I was just glad they let me in. <laughs> I'm glad they put up with the smells that came from me and the words that came from my mouth. And it was like, just thank you that I got to be there. And we just wanted the Lord. And the natural outpouring that comes from people hungering and thirsting for God is this revival that we seek. Because God comes to a hungry people who love him, who are yielded to him. And so these moments that we have together, I, I hope that you count them as sacred and, and, and treat them as such. These are beautiful things. And so when we gather, come with an expectation. It's easy for apathy, like Drew was saying, to sink in and we just start going through the motions. And what was once something, be- was something beautiful now is just going through the motions and methods and tradition rather than a living, breathing relationship with the Lord. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, this morning, would you open our eyes to the truth of your word? Would you open our eyes to the magnitude and the beauty of who you are, Lord, that there truly is no one like you? Would you take us deeper into your heart this morning, King Jesus? And would you increase our faith and our capacity to believe you are who you say you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this morning I want to share a message with you simply entitled, Jesus is Strong. And maybe it's because I have little kids or I'm just not very creative. I just. (laughs) But this week I did feel encouraged to encourage you with the simple truth that Jesus is strong. And it's easy to forget if we're not careful. We can spend our time watching way too much news. Or we can look at our, I know even in this room, there are many, there's huge circumstances and seemingly hopeless situations. And if we're not careful, we'll start believing those things. But you need to know today that Jesus is strong. It's 
Some of you are even struggling to, to keep this, even the smallest glimmer of hope alive. You need to know that Jesus is strong. He is with you. And I believe this morning that God is going to infuse some of you with a greater faith than you've ever experienced before. To believe for more. To hope for better. And to expect the answer to come. Because Jesus is strong. If you have your Bible this morning, you can turn to Exodus chapter 15. As Drew said, we're preparing for a Jesus school in the fall, and I have just been in the study, 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 and as we're preparing oh, the curriculum for Jesus school. And one of the beautiful things that I have seen is the presence and consistency of Jesus throughout the entirety of Scripture. He's not just in the New Testament, in the Gospels, and in Paul's writing. He is in this whole thing. And this, this is important for us to remember. This is important for us to know because oftentimes we can struggle to see how many of the Old Testament stories fit into the paradigm of our lives. But when we see Jesus is, is here from beginning to end, we see a beautiful story of God's pursuit of man. Jesus wasn't just a man who lived for 33 years and then died. But he has always been, he is now, and he will always be. These are real stories of real events that took place, but they're also a prophetic foretelling of God's redemptive story for humanity. Jesus speaks of this in John chapter 5. You don't have to turn there. It'll be there on the screen. You can turn there if you want. But in John chapter 5, Jesus is having this conversation with the Pharisees. And he says to them in verse 39, he says, You study the scriptures diligently because you think in them you have eternal life. But these are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Jesus is, is challenging these Pharisees that in their search for knowledge, they're missing the entire point. This book tells the story of God's pursuit of man and our need for a savior. So just having knowledge of God will not save you. Knowing a lot of things about him will not save you unless it leads you to the one in whom the scriptures speak of. I see it all the time. We can still be guilty of these same things today. We want to acquire more information, shore up our arguments, check the boxes, and we forget that God wants a living, breathing relationship with us. In our search for knowledge, we pass right by Jesus because Jesus is in this whole book. Like I said, we often look at the Bible and think, Jesus is just, he's just in the New Testament. But from cover to cover, Jesus, there is no before Christ and after Christ. He has always been, he is now, and he will always be. Through him, the whole world was made. He is the one speaking to Abraham on the mountain at the moment he was going to lower the knife to Isaac. Jesus was the one wrestling with Jacob. Jesus was in the burning bush who said, I am. 
He was in the pillar of fire and the pillar of, pillar of cloud. It was Jesus in the furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and on and on and on. Jesus is God's arm extended to humanity. Jesus is God's answer to the age-old question, God, do you even love me? Do you even know I'm here? Do you even care about me? For which God answers emphatically, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. From beginning to end, Jesus has made his intentions clear. Oh, that he may pull us out from the bondage of sin. Give us rest and peace with him. Redeem us and make us useful tools for the kingdom. And he is the only one strong enough to do so. It's only Jesus. So in Exodus 15, we read this beautiful song that Moses writes and Israelites sing with him about how God delivered Israel from the hands of Egypt. Again, this morning, as we read through this song, I want you to know that this story actually happened. It is not poetic allegory about God's ability to save, but it actually, God actually delivered Israel from Egypt. But I also want you to know that this story is is relevant to you because it's a type and shadow of what Jesus would accomplish on the cross. A prophetic foreshadow of Jesus delivering humanity from the enslavement of sin. That Jesus would deliver a people who were unable to save themselves. He would split the veil in two and pass through it. He would conquer the adversary and lead us back to the heart of God. So you might be asking, where, where is Jesus in the Old Testament? Well, there are a few places where it actually does mention it by name. We're not going to get into all of it today. Come to Jesus School if you want to learn about that. But in many places, it speaks of this one. It speaks of an angel of the Lord who is unlike any other angel. He is special and a unique messenger of God. This doesn't mean that every angel that is in Scripture is Jesus or that we are ever to worship angels but both Jewish scholars and Christian scholars agree that this Malach, Malach Adonai, this messenger of God, this angel of the Lord, is one who is sent from God but also bears his divine image. He is the one speaking from the bush, the burning bush that says, I am. He is completely unique because he bears the name of the Lord and doesn't just speak on God's behalf, but speaks as God. This is one of the main reasons why the writer of Hebrews starts out his whole letter saying Jesus is far superior than the angels because of his name and that all the angels were created through him. So for example, in this story, you can look in the, in the Exodus story, in, in Exodus 13, again, if you want to turn back and look at it, you can, otherwise it'll be on the screen behind you. In Exodus 13, it talks about the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire that's going to lead the people. In verse 21, it says, by, by day the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel by day and or night. So who went ahead of them in the pillar of cloud, the pillar of fire? It was the Lord. It was the Lord. Now if you turn to the next chapter in, in, in chapter 14, 
when they're in the midst of the battle, when the storm is, or when, the, when, the, when they're literally walking through um, the waters. It says in verse 19, it says, Now the angel of God, with the capital A, who had been traveling in front of Israel's army, withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud moved from in front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness on one side and light to the other, so neither went near the other all night. Jesus is this angel of the Lord. And this is the beauty of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are always functioning in perfect harmony with one another to accomplish the Father's will. So now I want you, as we read through this song, remember that Jesus is here. God really did redeem and deliver the Israelites from slavery, but it's also a prophetic testimony of the power and strength of Jesus in every one of our lives. His ability to save you, to deliver you from enslavement to sin, to bring you to that promised place, because Jesus is strong. So, in chapter 15, I wish I could talk a lot more about that, but we don't have time today. In chapter 15 and verse 1, we're just going to go through this song. It says this, and then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Both the horse and driver were hurled into the sea. God is the hero of the story. It is not Moses. God is the, the hero of this story. That's why he can say, I sing a song to the Lord. Capital L-O-R-D, the Lord, the one true God in whom there is no one like him, none beside him, none above him. He is our champion. He is the hero. He is the Lord, the one true God. He is more than able. He is completely able and capable of saving. He is the one who saves. Listen, we have a part to play in this plan of the Lord's, but it's ultimately him who saves he is the one true God, and he is sovereign over all. He is sovereign over all. I think there's a lot of confusion about what it means for God to be sovereign. And it keeps us at bay. It keeps us, because we're not sure if God is sovereign, then I don't know what he's going to do, and that's terrifying to me. And ultimately, it goes back to us trusting that God is really good. But what does it mean? For God to be sovereign, does it, mean, does, it, does it mean that God controls every little detail of your life? You know, I, we hear it all the, I hear it all the time, and that, that when people say, I've probably said it, God is in control. God is in control. And I think what me, people mean by it is that God has this. He's got it. He's got it under control, which I can, I can agree with. Then as crisis, this crisis that we're experiencing unfolds and maybe things aren't going the way that we had hoped, the inner dialogue becomes, God did this, or God caused this. God, it's your fault that I have all this pain. We end up with this misunderstanding and bitterness towards God because we believe it's God causing all of this pain in my life. But what God's sovereignty really means 
is that he has all rule and all authority. He is completely other and outside our world or paradigm. He makes the rules. He has the final word. He can do what he wants and as he pleases. He can intervene if he sees fit to do so, or he can stay silent. See, the problem with believing that God controls every detail of our lives is that it's then we do not have free will. And listen, we are not Calvinists here. We're not determinists here. We believe God gives us the right to choose, and he will not violate our free will. We can choose his ways or our own. We can choose to fight our own battles or let him fight on our behalf. We can choose to love him or reject him. Because ultimately, this is the main attribute of love, having the right to choose. It is not love if we're mindless robot. Without choice, there is no real love. And God's desire has always been for relationship. That's what this book is about. He is pursuing you and I. That's why we can sing a song to the Lord, the highly exalted one, that he might open up our eyes to see his greatness. We spent so much time trying to get God to fit into our little world, and he's trying to get us to open our eyes to his. He is more concerned with us knowing him than he is us having a road of ease. So here's the truth. God shows us you are not his obligation. But he has set his affections on you, that we might know him and have life in him. And he is wooing your hearts with his kindness, with his love and strength, that we might say, he is the Lord, but he is also my Lord, and he is highly exalted. He goes on to say in verse 2, the Lord is my strength and my defense or my song. And he has become my salvation. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he will become my salvation. He has become my salvation. When the reality that you walk in is that Jesus is your strength, your defense, your song, it is then that he will become your salvation. When he is your strength, your defense, and your song, he will be your salvation. Listen, we're a people who have been saved. We are currently being saved, and we will be saved. Jesus, from front to back, never stops being our Savior. And this is the beauty of worship as a weapon, the gift that God gives us as worship as a weapon against the enemy. In the midst of crisis or spiritual, spiritual attack, a song arises from within us declaring, Jesus is strong. He is able. There is nothing too difficult or impossible for him. Worship draws us into the heart of God and increases our faith and expands our depth of view of his power and his majesty. Worship to, to Jesus creates intimacy with, which produces faith in us. And what is faith? Faith is simply the reality of Jesus. It's when Jesus becomes real. When we know him. When we see him or hear him clearer, the reality of who he is is enlarged. It is then that our worship becomes even more beautiful and pure and our prayers carry power and our complaining diminishes because Jesus has become more real than our circumstances. That he actually walks into the room and changes the temperature and circumstances that we face when Jesus has come.
He goes on to say, he is my God and I will praise him. My father's God and I will exalt him. It's important that we remember and share about what God has done in our life and what he has freed you from. To meditate on God's saving power in your life. I mean, just take a moment right now and just look back at your life and reflect on the amazing things that God has done. The joy and the peace you've experienced. Even these even seemingly small miracles you've experienced are, are significant. Those small things that happen during the day that just let you know that, that he sees you. We can't allow ourselves to be too far from, removed from our own Exodus story. And this is the continual indictment against God's people throughout Scripture that they have forgotten the one who delivered them from Egypt. May we not forget this one who ransomed his life in exchange for mine. Blood for blood, life for life. Jesus. So he is my God, but it's equally important to remember that he is not just your savior, but he's our savior. This is the power of multiple generations walking with God together. He's not just my Savior, but he's also my father's Savior, my son's Savior, my wife's Savior, my friend's Savior. He's your Savior. And all over this room today are testimonies of Jesus' saving grace and healing power. People whose marriages have been restored, who had alcoholism broken off their life, identities restored, backs healed, cancer healed, arthritis healed, Incurable diseases healed and sins washed away. And we need to be quick and ready to share of God's faithfulness in our lives, to spur one another on in faith and righteousness. This is the importance and beauty of committing and submitting ourselves to God's family, the body of Christ. Body of Christ. How easily we forget God's power and strength. We need to continually be reminded that Jesus is strong. He is my God and he is my Father's God. In our house, we make a practice to talk consistently about what God has done in our lives, even just in our family, since our kids have been alive, but even in our, Kayla and I's individual lives. And my son is particularly infatuated with my life before I knew the Lord. And he's almost four, and he'll say, Dad, before you knew Jesus, you were a bully, right? And I said, yeah, buddy, I was. In his mind, a bully is like the worst thing. He said, bullies love Satan, right, Dad? I said, well, in his mind, a bully is the worst thing you could think of. And he said, Dad, you were a bully, right? And I was like, yeah, buddy, I was a bully. But then he says, but Jesus changed your heart. I said, yeah, buddy, Jesus changed my heart. And you're not a bully anymore. Nobody, I'm not a bully anymore. Bullies and show-offs are things that are very bad in his eyes. Don't be a show-off. We don't want to be a show-off. But listen, we share those stories. So not, the, not that my son will live on the coattails of my testimony, but that one day when his back is against the wall, when he is facing crisis in his life, he will remember 
about a God who saves, a God who is strong to pull even the worst out of the pit and put their feet on the solid ground. He will remember that all who call upon the Lord will be saved. That if you cry out to him, your cry goes before his ears, even in the temple. And he'll draw you out of the deep waters and put your feet in the, broad pla- in, the, in, in the broad place. He will defeat your enemies that are too strong for you. And he will rescue you because he delights in you. Psalm 18. He will remember the testimony and it will spur him on in his own faith and walk with the Lord. And this is the power when we share what God has done. So don't ever ever apologize for sharing your testimony. How do we overcome the enemy? By the blood of the lamb and the power of our testimony. See, we never stop. Anyone who give you a listening ear, you share your story. You share what Jesus has done in your life. Verse three. I love this. It says, the Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he has hurled into the sea. The best of Pharaoh's officers are drowned in the Red Sea. The deep waters have covered them. They sank to the depths like a stone. Your right hand, Lord, was majestic in power. Your right hand, Lord, shattered the enemy. Who sits at the right hand? Jesus. In your greatness, in the greatness of your majesty, you threw down all those who opposed you. You unleashed your burning anger and consumed them like stubble. By the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The surging waters stood up like a wall. The deep waters congealed in the heart of the sea. Jesus is a mighty warrior. Jesus is a mighty warrior. Jesus is peace, but he is not passive. He is not soft. As Psalm 24 says that he is strong and mighty and mighty in battle. He's like a husband who goes to battle for his wife in the place of prayer or fights for her heart. He defends her honor, and he keeps her from anyone who would seek to to cause her harm. And so is our mighty King Jesus. He is God's arm outstretched to humanity. He is majestic in power and shatters the enemy. The enemy and his demons are terrified of Jesus. Even the mention of his name, they tremble at Jesus. In Genesis 3, God says Satan would bruise Jesus' heel, and that was through the cross. But that Jesus would crush Satan's head through his resurrection. The enemy threw its very best at him, the very best it had, and Jesus crushed him. He made a way where there was no way because Jesus is a mighty warrior who is strong and he is fighting for you. His shoulders are strong enough to carry you and your burdens He is big enough to shield you from the fiery darts of the enemy. He is constant and true that even on the worst of days, he has not changed his mind about you. His heart burns with passion for you. The enemy is not his equal. He is not his rival. The Lord is incomparably strong compared to the enemy. So in verse 9, he goes on. He says, the enemy boasted, I will pursue them, I will pursue, I will overtake them, I will divide the spoils, I will gorge myself on them, I will draw my sword and my hand will destroy them. But you just blew with your breath and the sea covered them. They sank like lead 
in the mighty waters. Who among the gods is like you, Lord? Who is like you? Majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders. Come on, right now, I know there's some of you in this room that the enemy is tempting you with the lie that Jesus has forgotten you or that your particular situation is just uniquely big and complicated. You wouldn't say it out loud, but you've come to believe that your situation is too big for Jesus. But Jesus is incomparably stronger than the enemy. Right now, the enemy might be tempting you to enter into that endless cycle of worry and what-ifs. He is boasting of all the plans that he has for you. The enemy is saying it's pointless to fight. You should just give up. You know you're going to lose in the end. This sin is too strong for you to overcome. This disease is too far gone. You're never going to change. You're a lost cause. You blew your chance. And on and on his lies go. I was once meeting with this young woman, and we would meet week after week after week, and every single week it was the whole time we were talking about how horrible her situations were. And listen, there's a place for venting and there's a place for uh, facing the reality of the difficulties of the situations that we face. But then there does cross a point where we, we are lured into this hopelessness. And week after week after week, it was this, just speaking of this hopeless situation. And I said, finally, I said, you know what? This just seems like this situation is too big for the Lord. And she looked at me and was like, well, well no. And I said, well, what are we doing then? (laughs) If God is big, then we need to start coming into agreement with the things that he's saying about you and your situation and not always in agreement with the enemy. Like I said, there is a place for for recognizing the reality of the difficulties of our situation. But when Jesus is our strength and our song, he will become your salvation. He just blows with his breath and the sea covers the enemy. They sink like lead in the water. He just enters the room and the enemy scatters. Invite him into every part of your life you want him to bless, and he will. Come into agreement with all that he says about you and out of agreement with the father of lies. Let your prayer become, Lord Jesus, be my song, be my defense. Go before me and behind me. Only you, Jesus. Seek his truth. So that when you know the truth, the lies of the enemy will seem ridiculous in light of the truth that has been written on your heart. Somebody asked me the other day, why does the enemy even try? Doesn't he know what he doesn't he know his end? And I said, Yes, he does, but he's trying to pull as many down with him as he can. So we resist him and he'll flee, the Bible says. Scott, if you'll come, we're going to take communion in a few moments. You guys doing okay? I don't apologize for my intensity, but I will acknowledge it. (laughs) Verse 12 says, you stretch out your right hand. And the earth swallows your enemies. In your unfailing love, you lead the people you have redeemed. In your strength, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. The nations will hear and tremble. Anguish will grip the people of Philistia. 
The chiefs of Edom will be terrified. The leaders of Moab will be seized with trembling. The people of Canaan will melt away. Terror and dread will fall on them. By the power of your arm, that's Jesus, they will be as still as stones until your people pass by, Lord, until the people you have purchased pass by. In your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. Jesus will never fail you. His love will never fail you. I know we sing songs about his love, but it often becomes common and just words. But his truth is that his love will never fail you. It will lead you through anything that you might face in this life. His strength will guide you the entire way. He promises that he who has begun a good work in you will see it through to his completion. He doesn't get tired. He doesn't get quit halfway. He, finished what he, he finishes what he starts, and he will see you through. Moses is writing this song prophetically about God's promise to see the Israelites through to the promised land, Exodus 23. But this also speaks of God's promise of eternal life for those who love him. Jesus told his disciples that he's going ahead to prepare a place. The Bible tells us that we are strangers in a strange land. Or as Peter said, sojourners. This world is not our home. We have divine purpose while we're here, but we're just passing through. And all the while, Jesus has promised to keep those he purchased until the end. If we do not leave the shadow of his wing, he promises to protect us. It was only whenever Israel strayed from God that those, those were the times that foreign enemies came and conquered them. But when God was their shield and defense, they had incredible testimonies of God's strength and protection. They overcame. And he will see you through until the end, until your dying breath, he will see you through. If you remain submitted to him, like, like Drew was talking about, yielded to him, surrendered to him, he will see you through. I had this very strange experience a couple months ago that I was hesitant to even talk about, but it was such a gift from the Lord. I had a, a friend um, that we knew when we lived in Iowa City. Her name was Ethel. And she, she passed away recently. She was 80 years old, and she was just a bright light and intercessor in my life. She would ask me how she could pray, and I knew, I just knew that she was praying, and she would intercede. But she got sick a few months ago, and she just said, I, I'm tired, and I want to go be with Jesus. <laughs> I said, that's okay. She said, God's been faithful to me. I've walked with him, and he's kept me all these years, and I'm ready to go be with Jesus. So the next number of weeks, she was just in bed. And one morning, the Lord woke me, and I began to pray for Ethel. 
is for strength. And God gave me this picture in my mind. I saw Ethel laying in, in her bed, just worshiping the Lord, just worshiping Jesus. And then I saw this heavenly light appear and shine on her face. And the angels joined in singing the song that she was singing. And then she passed away. Hours later in the day, I received a call that at exactly that moment, she had passed away. And I said, that's really weird, Lord. I don't know, really know what to make of it. But I believe that God was giving me just a, a pure, a, the ability to see into that beautiful moment of God honoring her faithfulness through the years, of welcoming her home, of saying, I've seen you through to the end. Well done, my good and faithful servant. The words that we all long to hear. He will see you through. He will not fail you. He will not let you go. He is strong. In verse seven or verse seventeen, it says that he or you bring them in and plant them on the mountain of your inheritance, the place, Lord, you made for your dwelling, the sanctuary, Lord, your hands have established. The Lord reigns forever and ever. Amen. Jesus reigns forever. The earth is his inheritance, and so are you. Through the blood of Jesus, we have been cleansed, and we are now temples of the Holy Spirit. Our foundation is built on nothing else but the chief cornerstone, Jesus Christ. He is the potter, and we are the work of his hands. He was strong enough to save the Israelites time and time again, and he's strong enough to save and to keep you if you remain submitted to his lordship. He reigns forever and ever. This has been the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc.